Welcome to the Haunted Happy Hour podcast, and thanks for joining us for another episode of our special summer mini-series, Haunted Summer Road Trips. For this episode, our road trip takes us to the historically unique Hawkeye State, Iowa. So, for those looking to find out what more spooky tales lie trapped within this state, stick around to find out. And, don't forget, as we say in this series, some locations might have restrictions for visitors, so visit and explore at your own risk. We begin today in Council Bluffs, Iowa, with what many say is the most haunted location in the city, the Potawatomi Jailhouse, better known as the Squirrel Cage Jail. Located at 226 Pearl Street in Council Bluffs, Iowa, this jail is just 10 minutes east of Omaha, Nebraska. Designated as one of only three remaining rotary jails in the U.S., the unique facility was built in 1885. Back in the late 1800s, Council Bluffs was said to be a chaotic, lawless place. With so many criminals running rampant throughout the area, officials knew they had to come up with something. Only problem was, the county taxpayers refused to pay for a traditional and what they deemed expensive jail. So instead, the county opted for a cheaper solution, a what was called rotary-style jail. The jail was a giant metal drum, almost like a carousel, with wedge-shaped cells. It was stacked three floors high and all housed inside a building with steel-lined walls. With the way that it was built, it had the ability to be staffed by only one guard with a gun because at the turn of a hand crank, the cells would all spin so that only one inmate's holding area could be accessed at a time via the single entryway. The look of the entire jail itself, with the way it functioned and paired with the city's large population of black squirrels, is actually where many say its popular nickname came from. The structure's creativity, though, wasn't enough to save it from being regarded as a failure. The drum that the cells were built into was heavy enough at the standard specs with only one floor, but the additional two floors here added a good amount of damaging heft. Additionally, the turntable gears would regularly jam, meaning inmates could be kept in their cells for indefinite amounts of time until the gears were fixed. In total, around this time, there were 18 rotary jails built across the country. All of them ran into problems with inmates' limbs being crushed or amputated because of interfering with the cell block's rotation. Because of this, most of the jails had to be welded into a fixed position. All of them, except for one, were condemned by June 22, 1939. That one, left uncondemned, was the Squirrel Cage Jail in Council Bluffs, 
which remained in use until December of 1969. Built on the site of the old St. Paul's Episcopal Church morgue, the jail is said to leave many who visit with more than just the creepy feeling. While the popularity of the squirrel cage's paranormal activity has grown in recent years throughout the paranormal community, it's said that inmates, staff, and visitors as early as the 1900s knew that something was a little off inside this place. On the fourth floor, the jail had an apartment to house the live-in jailer. In the 1950s, the jailer at the time, named Bill Foster, absolutely refused to live in that apartment. He claimed that on many occasions, he'd hear unexplainable noises like footsteps on the floor when no one was around. This activity was enough to make him move down to the second floor and stay with the prisoners instead. Some think that at least one of the spirits that still roams the jail is that of a man named J.M. Carter. Carter was the man who oversaw the construction of the jail and became the facility's longest working jailer superintendent. He was also the first resident of the top floor apartment. According to those who believe it's him, they say he's just never left. His restless, intense spirit never gave up his position and continues to hang around, checking up on the prisoners. There's also been reports of a full-body apparition on the fourth floor. Staff and paranormal investigators have identified the apparition as that of Otto Gufa, another former jailer who lived and worked at the facility. Other reported paranormal activity in the jail includes feelings of being watched or followed, cold chills, hearing voices when no one else is around, seeing strange lights, and doors opening on their own. People on tours have felt a tugging at their clothes and even scratching, with scratch marks left on their skin. Only four deaths have ever been reported as having occurred in the jail. But with the fact that the facility was built over an old morgue, perhaps that could be the reason for the additional activity. One prisoner died of a heart attack, one in a three-story fall when trying to carve his name on the ceiling, and another prisoner hanged himself in his cell. The fourth death was ruled an accident when an officer was shot by a gun misfiring when an angry mob threatened to storm the jail in 1932. The jail's hauntings go beyond just rumors. Various paranormal teams have investigated the location and documented all of the ghostly activity. The jail has even received national attention with spots on Travel Channel's most terrifying places and Ghost Adventures Serial Killer Spirits series. For those interested, the Ghost Adventures episode is Season 1, Episode 3, Serial Killer Spirits, Axe Killer Jail. When the jail's use was discontinued, the Historical and Preservation Society of Pottawatomie County stepped in to preserve the facility. Today, the Squirrel Cage Jail operates as a museum 
offering tours, paranormal investigations, and overnight lock-ins. So, if you're brave enough to visit this historic mechanical jail with more than just its fair share of ghostly activity, visit thehistoricalsociety.org for more info on times and events. Our second stop takes us an hour southeast to Villisca, Iowa, and the Villisca Axe Murder House, located at 508 East 2nd Street. This trip is especially not for the faint at heart. This house is definitely for those that want that extra frightening, chilling, paranormal experience. Things like disembodied giggles, screams, and unexplained movements are just some of the activities that suggest a paranormal presence at the notorious Villisca Axe Murder House. In the summer of 1912, Villisca, Iowa was a small, quiet little town. Typical small town atmosphere where neighbors knew one another, kids were always seen playing in the yard, and nobody ever really locked their doors. Sadly, this carefree, trusting feeling would soon all but fade away thanks to the one event that forever changed this small, peaceful town. On June 9th, 1912, the Moore family participated in events held by their local church. The family consisted of parents Josiah and Sarah. Josiah worked in a hardware and implement business but was making plans to open his own business. Together, they had four children, Herman, 11, Mary, 10, Arthur, 7, and Paul, 5. The Moors were an affluent family that were well-liked in their community. As the church activities came to an end, the children decided to ask a couple friends, May, 8, and Lena, 12, to stay over to continue the excitement of the day. The two friends were actually supposed to be staying with their grandma that night, but they got permission to stay with their friends. The family, along with the two friends, left the church party at 9.30 p.m. to walk back home. They would have arrived home between 9.45 and 10 p.m. Little did they their neighbors, and friends know that this was the last time they would be seen again. The story goes, the next morning, their neighbor, Mary Peckham, went about her daily chores as she typically did in the early hours of the day. As she hung laundry, she noticed how quiet and still the Moore's house was and found it odd that Josiah did not leave for work yet, as he typically did around 7 a.m., She also noticed Sarah was not out doing her daily chores and the kids were not running around or being loud or laughing as they typically were. Being a good neighbor, she decided to go check on the family. She knocked several times, but no one answered. Mary figured everyone might be sick, but didn't think it was likely that the entire family would be ill. She decided to phone Josiah's brother for help. His brother, Ross, arrived at the house and started pounding on the door. Nobody came to answer. The two of them were trying to figure out a way in the house since the front door happened to be locked from the inside. 
Ross found keys and fumbled through to find the correct one that would open the door. He got the door open and went in, but Mary Peckham stopped in the entry. Ross looked around and called out, but no one answered. He saw the door that led into Mary's bedroom and opened the door, only to see the horrific sight that caused him to freeze in his tracks. He only could see bloody sheets and a couple bodies, but didn't know who they were. He immediately ran outside and yelled to Mary Peckham to call the police. He collapsed on the porch and tried to compose himself, but it was difficult after what he saw in the room. Police arrived at the house and went from room to room. They couldn't believe the carnage that had taken place the night before. A search of the house revealed that the adults and all the children, including their two friends, were bludgeoned to death in their beds. Police determined that the Moore parents had been murdered first, which is no surprise as they were the only ones who could have defended themselves and the children against the attacker. Josiah alone had been hit over 30 times. Word spread of the news throughout the community. Everyone was stunned. The Moores were a popular family with many friends. Some believe the murderer hid in the attic storage room that was accessible through a small door. The attacker waited for the Moors to arrive after the church events and laid low until they were asleep. After murdering the Moors, the killer had apparently set up some kind of ritual. He went through each room in the house, covering all of the mirrors and windows with cloths and towels. He also covered the faces of each victim. At some point, he took a two-pound piece of uncooked bacon from the fridge and placed it in the living room. The residual hauntings, whether from the actual spirits of the victims or the symbolic trauma of an unsolved tragedy, go on and on and on. Eventually, there were also renovations done to the house by the current owners. We know from previous episodes that spirits tend to become more active due to remodeling done to the buildings. Groups that have investigated say they feel cold spots, feelings of sadness, and a feeling of being so overwhelmed that they had to get out of the house. It's said disembodied laughter and children's voices play over and over like a record, replaying the last night of the lives of the kids in the Velisca home. Unexplained screams and movements have been heard. Even a strange fog has also been reported moving from room to room when the train passes through the town at the time of the murders. Unusual behavior of visitors to the house also points to possessions occurring in the home. The owner of the home, Martha Lynn, states, I feel like there's something there. If indeed there are spirits, you have to realize that six of them are children. I don't know if the murderer still exists there, but there have been a few things that have happened that aren't exactly calming, but I don't like to dwell on it. Today, the Villisca Axe Murder House serves as a paranormal hotel and can also be booked for daytime tours. It's believed that the killer used the railroad lines to get from town to town. It's also believed that the killer 
had committed murders in other small towns prior to Villisca. With the gruesome events that happened in this house, one would definitely find themselves face to face with the spirits that are not at rest thanks to its dark past. With no one ever charged for the murders, we're left to wonder, is there more left to the story? So with that, thanks for joining us for this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, Stitcher, or Anchor. And if you have Echo devices, an easy way to listen is just say, Alexa, play Haunted Happy Hour Podcast. Plus, check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Haunted Happy Hour Podcast. And there you'll find that we post episode teasers, photos that go along with our episodes, and bonus content that we don't always get to on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. Catch us next time as we head to yet another city full of spooky tales sure to leave you with some unforgettable vacation memories right here on Haunted Happy Hour Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.